0: Welcome to the Career Pro Podcast. We're here with Jeff Nischwitz, who is originally from. Uh, last thirty-five years
1: in Cleveland, Ohio, and the last four months in Tampa, Florida.
0: Woot woot to Ohio <laughs> from Bowling Green, right down the road where everybody from Cleveland. Oh, went. Oh, the Falcon man! Uh, the Falcon. Sorry, I'm a Falcon, <laughs> so everybody uh, uh, from Cleveland went to school there and. And, of course, growing up there, I was known as a townie. So here it is, the Ohio townie talking to the big city guy from Ohio about a lot of things uh, that I think are extremely relevant to the people that we talk to, which could be HR, executive suite, and and those are a lot of our individual clients, too. The macro I'm going to get to a question, I promise, but the macro economy seems to be doing great in 2020. Hiring's up. Uh, record numbers in some cases but in between the lines what are you seeing what needs to change in the in terms of people and leadership anything are we just doing great
1: no we're we're terrible we're terrible I'll give you six letters that answer the question G-A-L-L-U-P Gallup the Gallup survey of employee engagement 25-30 years ago they did the survey and level of the percentage of engaged employees was about 25 percent, something like 25 percent actively disengaged, and 50, you know, everybody else in the middle. So that's not a good number. 25 years later, I believe the active engaged number went from 25 to 30. That's a horrible outcome. So we're not getting any better. And if that's your return in two years, that ain't bad. But in 25 years. So what's happening, businesses are succeeding not on their people or on their people growth skills, but on the economy. We're riding the wave. So when the next, the next bomb hits in the economy, companies are going to tank. They're going to disappear because people are not taking care of their people. They're talking culture. They're not walking it. And my big message to HR folks, and I, I, I'm a grenade thrower, I'm a disruptor, is this. I believe HR has the opportunity, maybe more than ever, to really be the solution, not just the ones who is the caretaker. Um, I was I did a speech recently, and I was thinking about to the uh, SHRM group. I was thinking about what you've is you
0: talked to you talked around the country to different SHRM meetings, SHRM groups. You were at ours. Uh, recently uh, is, uh, in 20, 2019, so I, re- I really enjoyed your talk and I think you definitely got some people thinking.
1: I did. I shook them up. I like to shake them up. And somebody's shaking the snow globe. Yeah, yeah, I speak at local chapters, national conferences. Uh, it seems to be a great fit with the message. And what I, I said at this group in Atlanta is actually the first time I said it is, you know, we call, um, HR calls themselves HR professionals, but I said, what is HR? everybody laughs and says, what's human resources? And I said, what if actually we took it to a different level and said it's human resuscitation professionals? What if HR people, and I believe this, these professionals have the opportunity to resuscitate culture, people, and organizations? Because they're right in the front lines. The problem is, in most organizations, HR does not have a seat at the leadership table. It is very rare Typically, even if they have a senior title, they're feeding information to the C-suite the C-suite can make decisions from. They don't have a seat at the table. The reason is because leaders in organizations don't see HR as high value. They still see it as overhead. Go take care of the stuff. Take care of compliance. Take care of benefits. There's a lot of strategic HR professionals. They don't have a voice. My message is no one's going to give it to you claim your voice. And I said something at a conference in Wisconsin last month that they had to ask me if I said it, if they really heard it this way. (laughs) What I told them was the larger your organization, the more power every individual has to change their culture. You have more power than the CEO because the CEO can send a message downhill, but change happens in the trenches. But it's risky because now you're basically, I'm telling people, don't ask for permission. Don't ask the company to tell you what the culture is. Create the culture you want and get a small tribe of people that are engaged. And all of a sudden, you're going to have a bigger tribe of people engaged, having each other's back. That's the missing link in our business today. Organizations
0: are succeeding and the people are not. Take me in. Give me an example of this. Go into your snow globe <laughs> and, and take me take me into like what really happens, like real life inside a company, because what I hear from HR people, of course I've read the magazine and they always want a seat at the table and the, a lot of the thematic things in the Shurm magazine that's printed every month, they get a nice copy of and I love the articles, is that, you know, we, here's how to take a seat at the table. We should take a seat at the table, but what's physically going on? What do you see when you look into that a globe of that corporation uh, that needs to change. What, what are the what are the leaders doing? What's HR? Is HR just mired in its details and and is afraid to take this transformational? You know, because we're in the trenches. Here's what needs to change up the line because they'll get in trouble. What's happening and what uh, should I happen? think?
1: There's always fear in, uh, is involved. People don't want to admit they're afraid. That's the bottom line. Fear is the main things that keep people from taking action in the direction they believe in. And the more conscious we are, so I tell people, look, just acknowledge your fear. Ask yourself, what are you afraid of? And deal with that versus pretending you're not. I think the biggest gap is that HR is still too macro. They're talking about a seat at the table. A lot of HR is still waiting for an invitation. Or they're trying to figure out how to get into the room. You don't need to be in the room. What you need to do is change how things are happening in the trenches so that the people in the room can say, wow, look at the impact. Something changed, so I'm saying go go super micro, change the behavior. A great example for me is I do a whole program on building a culture of feedback. I've yet to meet an organization that says we're great at feedback. Organizations have literally. Well, we sent out a up. newsletter, Jeff. Oh, my we, we,
0: we we do we annual do, reviews. We do annual reviews. We we did a survey.
1: Oh, yeah. All right, now
0: break those down for me. Why isn't that enough?
1: Because it doesn't matter. It's all it's all that's all macro stuff when someone says we don't do well at feedback I said then start tomorrow becoming the best person for feedback with your entire team you're gonna see major improvements what is the leadership is the C-suite gonna come down and say stop providing feedback you don't need to create a culture of feedback you act as if it's already there people are starving for feedback give it and don't tell and by the way that's the issue we're saying I want to be better at it but I don't have time Really? Then you're saying it's not important. I I was with a group of leaders yesterday and I threw a grenade in. I I said, look, you're not going to like me when I leave this room and that's okay. One of our biggest failures in leadership is, at all levels, a leader's job, forget about title, is to grow their people and make their people better and make those people's lives better. Hmm. How many organizations in this country are doing that? No, they're trying to figure out how to make their company better, how to make more money, to have more sales, more profitability, cut costs. They're not focused on making their people's lives better. What What would happen if we did that? Without
0: going into your complete workshop, what does that look like? What questions might be asked to start driving that? If I feel like I've got that heart to do this, Jeff, how do I drive that? What questions should I be asking? What a few... What should I be doing?
1: i give you a great example. One of my dear, dear friends, his company did this, and it took him a ton of time. He's in a smaller office of a national organization. They probably have 30 people in his office. The end of last year, they went to their people and they had them all answer three or four questions in writing. In writing. It wasn't just a discussion. It wasn't just so a they clicky had them, the,
0: feedback form. Oh, platform. no.
1: It was, a, it was intent. In fact, one employee only gave like one-sentence answers. They let him go at the end of the year because they said wow. he doesn't care about his own future. Everybody else wrote long notes about where do, you want, where do you see your career? What exactly do you need to get there? What are your dreams? Not your job. What are your dreams in your life? Wow. And then the other question was uh, what are the things that we could fundamentally change to make your experience more memorable here? And then every employee had a two-hour meeting with the president.
0: Well, Jeff, we just don't have time for that at our company. I mean, there's so much going on. You know. He said it
1: was the best thing he's ever done in his life. Really? He sat down with his people. He said he had people in tears telling the story about what they really cared about and saying, I didn't think anybody here cared. And by the way, what's awesome about this is I would have told you before they did that that they were in the top 1% of companies in terms of how they treat their people. So they just went to another level. They went to another level. Wow. The people who have the great companies that build great teams of people invest crazy amounts of time and money in their people, and everyone
0: else says, I'm too busy. So bring me back to today. What's going on when we're just on that sheer drive for profitability, products out the door, complete this project? We're in this Dilbert world. You know, everything matters, especially the quarterly bottom line. So if it's public, our stock can go up. Is that the dysfunction that's going on? Well, to I'm gonna so stay just... away
1: from the public because the public companies have a lot of challenges that the private companies don't. I worked for a public company a number of years ago in a BD role, and I saw it from the inside. They can't take risks because they can't take risks that has a long-term return. They can go they can try and change things, but they gotta get a return in a quarter. So their hands are tied differently, but if okay. we look at private companies, I think there's a couple challenges. One is I don't think that the leadership really knows what leadership is. I think we live in a country today that we don't even know what leadership is anymore, which is why we have a lot of great operators and strong managers and people who can run things, but they've never thought of it in terms of their people. They talk about it, but they've never really come to work every day and said, my mission is to make these people's lives better. There's very few organizations that they literally walk the talk that says My, our team is really the most important thing here. Most organizations will tell you their team is not most important. They will say their clients are most important or customers. Ah, interesting. They will that I hear that every day. I hear that. They'll a say, lot, but too. our team members are a high second. Oh, I said, we... no, they're number one. That's why you're here. And if you make them number one and do it well, number two is going to take care of itself. You'll be more, and that's here's the big problem we yeah, got. Yeah, that Joe. goes
0: that nearly that mindset nearly goes unquestioned.
1: Of course, because everybody goes, well, of course, customers come first.
0: <laughs> that's our business. That's your money.
1: That's that's where the disconnect is. We don't even know what our business is. And and to your point, you made a great point. I don't even know if you realized how epic it was. <laughs> no, <here's>, I didn't. <laughs> a lot of businesses today are successful, and they say, why do we need to change anything? That's it. And my offer to them is, but if you are succeed, first of all, I don't believe they're succeeding as well as they can, they're not even hitting a small percentage of their opportunities because if you have an organization, let's just look at this simple math, that we say we're pretty profitable, we have pretty good growth, so we look at it and say, good year, but then we go, wait a minute, but only 25% of your team or 30% is actively engaged in work? And probably 20 to 25% of them are actively disengaged. How can you tell me you had a great year? And what they'll tell you is that's not ours. That's the national average, that's not ours, but we all know that's a lie. When you're taking that those numbers from across the country, how can it be a lie? Everybody thinks they're in the they're that's not true for their people, but that's the lie. And the sad thing I've learned, because I've gotten to speak internationally the last couple of years we're not the only country dealing with it. I thought maybe it was just the US. I was in Germany in October and I stood up and I said, I told them about some of the issues and I said, now tell me, is this an issue here or not? And they all, oh yeah, nodding their head. So it's, it's a, not just a US culture thing. It's, pro, it's, a, first world, it's a first world issue. We have business success, but I judge they're failing because they're people are not having good lives. There are people how many people do you know? Think about that talk about how great their work experience is?
0: Very few, but the, the one the companies that I think of in North Carolina that I've related to or talked to the to the folks, even people in outplacement or transition, the kind of thing that we help with primarily here at CareerPro, is that maybe they leave a boss at a great company, but there are very few very few people who <clears throat> come to me and, and or I've talked to who say it's going to be really hard to leave this company. I'm so tied in I, because of the relationships that I've built and because they've stood by me through so much. One company that did uh, with one of my clients, she. she long story short she got she got into a career change and transition and she really didn't want to make a pretty big change in her career and we really encouraged her to do it she goes with this next company this next company have to be in the medical space and she had to undergo clinical trials and some other things for breast cancer they didn't just put it the slogan on their website they stood with her through this unbelievable challenging time they even brought her out she she and she wanted to speak to other people and gave her part of her job became maybe a quarter of her job was motivating other parts of the workforce how to stay engaged, how to bring you know a very debilitating situation to work but still thrive and and they gave her time off for clinical trials essentially they saved her life but they they and they didn 't just use it to Build up this commercial for their company culture. They, uh, she wanted to do that. She wanted to give back. But they, when they walked the walk, and then other people saw how much how much they did that they didn't have to do, it just built so much rapport. And that company is still thriving today. They'll, that company uh, takes their people and lets them take two weeks off to do any charitable event that they want, charitable cause. In addition to the other time off that they have for get vacation, it's. Cr- it's quite unprecedented, but the but they're living the very few companies live it, but that one does, and you couldn't find a more loyal workforce. People are just torn up if they have to leave. A spouse gets another job or whatever. And you know, and I. But that's rare. I hate to really give them an rare.
1: out. I hate to give them an out. It's not an out, but I'm, I know it's in their head because I'm. I, you may know this. I'm an ex lawyer. Part of this is the lawyers. God bless you. And the system. Because the the lawyers and the system is so risk averse. Here's something I learned, just what you said in my business, the first business that I started back when I was a lawyer, I had my own law firm. I had an employee who came to me. He'd worked for me for a year, awesome employee. And here's what he asked. He said, "I'm I'm buying my first house with my wife. I'm a little light on the down payment. Would you be willing, the firm, to lend me the money and then take it out of my bonus at the end of the year? Just basically advance the bonus. My response was, well, let me talk to the, my two partners, but my answer was going to be, yes, absolutely. They go to my partners. My partner said, no, no, we can't do that. What if everybody else wants to do that? What if he leaves and then we don't get to collect it? We need a promissory note. I said, no, no, we're doing none of that. And here's what I said. He has earned the right to be treated this way. Mm. He's never going anyway. And they said, what do we tell people if they want the same treatment? I said, we look at it on a case-to-case basis as to whether
0: they have earned it. And, you know, some, I Even read a book. Even the fact that you would ask that question of him or hand him a promissory note, like just the, the fact that that was, you knew that was the right thing to do and you could make the call, essentially. I mean, you ran yeah. it by your partners. But I, but I overruled him. Of- and we wrote him a check with no note, no nothing. And he came back and
1: he got his bonus. He loved having his house. But here's the thing I learned and I learned it from my kids. Uh, One of my sons struggled with some learning disabilities and I read a book on learning disabilities and what this guy said is, can carry into our business world in all our lives. He said, the problem is there's lots of solutions for these kids but the schools won't implement them because they think it's not fair, it's an unfair advantage. And his sentence was this, he said, people think it's unfair to treat people differently. But what's unfair is to treat different people the same. So my message to organizations is That's great. you don't have to treat everybody the That's... same. Treat them with dignity and respect, absolutely. But some people are going to have different situations, and you don't have to, not for everybody. But here's where the law comes in. Someone says, wait a minute, I'm going to argue about that. You know what, maybe they will. But leadership is about taking a risk, and leadership is about doing the right thing. And my big message to people in HR and leadership is start doing the right thing. You know what you want to do, but then you get caught up in this story and someone convinces you And this... No, do the right thing. Because do, when we do the right thing, it's almost always people-centric. The right thing is usually
0: people-centric. It's funny, the people that have, been, <clears throat> that have made decisions based on doing the right thing, even if they lost an opportunity or job with it, do you know how much better they s- seem to be in terms of happiness quotient in their career that I've dealt with over 25 Oof. years. But it's ironic. I've had people leave highly prosperous pharma or med sales or because they said, I just can't live with the fact that we're bringing a product to market that, that could hurt people, and I'm starting to see that. I, that crosses the principal's line and the leader. I'm leaving. As a high-level person with lots of bills and a bigger house, sh- sure enough, they got—they might have had tougher time initially, mm-hmm. and, and foregone some bonuses. But those people who made those decisions and did the right thing, or did the right thing by the, stood by someone, they seem to come out—you know—a year or two later, they're in a better place. They are, and just the level of peace of mind, and that they're getting eight hours of sleep, and they. Wow, it's just shocking to me because sometimes I'm like, hey, if, I wonder if I was in that situation, would I do the same thing? Maybe you would, maybe you wouldn't, but when you see that over and over and over again, the handful of people that have done the right thing, it's pretty amazing. What have you seen similar? Um,
1: I see that. I see that outcome all the time and I think But that, the
0: opposite also has implications.
1: Oh, it does because if you do the Here's the problem. And I, I said this the other day to someone and it took a while for them to get it. There's a lot of leaders in our organizations who are very much out of alignment and out of integrity. And what I mean by that is they're saying one thing and doing another. And the outcome of that is assured. People don't trust you, period. They don't trust you. When I go into organizations, I can guarantee you every organization's issue is trust-based. And they're not talking about trust because we don't want to pretend, we want to pretend we all trust each other. We're going to talk about these little issues. It's a trust issue. I've told leaders. I said, look, if you the best way to build trust in your organization is to tell your people how you really feel and how you're going to treat them and do it. So if you are not going to tre- if you're going to if you're going to be a taskmaster and put and, and drive your people into the ground, stand up and tell them that. Stand up in front of them and say, "You know what? I don't care about your family lives. I don't care about balance. All I care about is profits and profitability here. That's my number one driver." <laughs> the funny thing is, your people will actually trust you more. They may not like you, but they didn't like you before. Before they didn't like you and didn't trust you. They may decide to leave, but that's okay. Tell them the truth about who you are. That's what people are waiting for wow. because the distrust is you stand up and say, "Oh, we love you. We love you. We want to have a life." But then over here, the demands are. And such didn't you that see we don't the really
0: slogan love? on our website? Was oh yeah. I mean. The, that's all people the People first or whatever. Oh, yeah. There's people There's probably first. Some, some slogan on that. And it's just, yeah, that's the stories I hear. It's, well, here's, here's what they say, I know, but here's been my experience. And a lot of this, John, you Some people are know not this. bitter. Some people go away quietly. They're not trying to cause a, you know, some retribution. I wish more people would speak
1: up. There's too many things not being addressed, and I get it. It's fear-based. People leave. Org- you said it earlier. You know, You talked about people leaving bosses. That's the reality. I've seen organizations, I have a close friend who went to work for an organization that appeared to have a great culture. And I really, from everything I've seen, from close to the inside, it is a great culture. But they had a bad manager in a certain location. And that bad manager couldn't have done anything worse than all the things he did. And this person who loved the company quit because because this was happening. It's a message, I quit the manager, not the company. Now, it's easy to say, well, don't blame the company. But I do because here's what I noticed. I'm going to give you just one glimpse. One of the issues was he, it was very clear in his behavior that he had issues in, in hiring women. My friend was a woman, but she got in kind of through a, a, another, his boss. Like a department or a over, right. he was over. So here's something okay. nobody noticed. Over a six-month period, he didn't hire a single woman. And didn't interview a single woman. All the men were the same, same um, breakdown. They were young men, former athletes. So, but nobody noticed that. And that's where the company, it's about the little things. My argument is that's where HR should be seeing those things and calling them up and saying, Hey, I noticed you haven't even interviewed a woman yet. Because you know they tell what me what say. you're thinking. "Whether there's smoke, there's fire, what are you thinking? They couldn't find any candidates, really? He didn't even interview them, and when they st- now the good news for her, and I applauded her, she did leave, and she chose to speak up to HR. And a lot of people say, "I don't want to burn a bridge.
0: I don't want to get in trouble. I don't want to have that reputation. But sometimes it's only an exit interview, and HR has to swallow it and keep going if you want your job. But you're saying that HR, in an ideal world, could get involved and say, hey, we, need to make, we may need to talk about some changes here. And they should feel a lack of retribution if, they're, if that happens, because yep. they're not trying to hurt someone, they're trying to change the culture to make it better. And now, overall, my big message is go, ma- go
1: micro. Go, go micro. micro, take action, start doing all the things you'd like to see change. don't wait for a policy. Create the new policy by implementing the action that is so successful everybody goes, wow, we all ought to do that. That's how you change things. You don't wait for approval. You don't wait for a policy. You don't wait for a vote. And that's leadership. And that's why leadership to me has nothing to do with roles and titles. Leadership is, I'm going to misquote it here a little bit, but I love Teddy Roosevelt's quote about the man in the arena. So let's talk the man or woman in the arena. They're in the arena. They're in the fight. And it's going to get bloody and it's going to get nasty sometimes. But that's where leadership happens. Leadership happens in the arena, not in the stands. So people at all levels, the opportunity is to say, am I going to continue to just watch it and complain about it? Or am I going to
0: jump out of the stands, jump down in the dirt and get in the fight? This is awesome, Jeff. How do we learn about you have an upcoming book and where to get more information and insights from you?
1: Yeah, i got a new book coming out in, it looks like January, called Just One Step. This is January 2020. I know. We're, it's We're right month. here. We're it's here. this month, so in the next couple of weeks. Um, you can find me on my website, uh, which is nischwitzgroup.com, N-I-S-C-H-W-I-T-Z group.com, or you can email me. Email me at jeff at nischwitzgroup.com. As you can tell, I have no opinions, no thoughts. <laughs> Um, but be careful what you be careful if you uh, talk to me and if I say to you, do you mind if I ask you a question? Think long and hard before you say yes. <laughs> <You're>
0: gonna, <laughs> it's going to be a little bit more uh, insightful and a, and a little bit a little bit more painful than I, uh than many questions that were asked because you want to know the answers. You want to get to the point and you want to help that leader help those people so do we glad you came on the show today we look forward to uh the ohio brotherhood coming together later a little bit later this year perhaps we can get you in the spring but great for coming in jeff appreciate it talk to you soon